Thank you, Eric, and thanks to you, the worship team, for your leadership this morning, and welcome both online and here in the sanctuary. I can't tell you what a treat it is to look around and see people in the room, so thank you for showing up, and a special word also this morning uh, to graduates. We want to welcome you and acknowledge you, and I want to say we need you, as we'll hear in a moment We need you to be pioneers. We need you to move the ball down the field so that the future of the church looks more like Jesus than it does right now because it is an ongoing journey of transformation that has been happening now for 20 centuries or so and needs to continue happening. So please pray with me and then we will look ahead and consider this notion of whether or not we're pioneers or guardians and how to be both of those things. Father, Thank you so much that we can gather within these walls. That's a gift. And online, also a gift. And listen for your voice. We pray this morning for the church globally, knowing that you prayed that the church would be united. You asked that in John 17. I pray that we would hear that call and that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would move us toward not uniformity, but unity. And that you would teach us toward that end this morning so that we, your local expression, can also move toward unity. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I think the easiest time in church history to be a martyr would have been the first two centuries. And the reason that I think that is in the first two centuries, predominantly, if someone killed you for your faith, the someone... uh, was not claiming Christ as their source of life. So there was this antagonism between the Christians and Rome, the Christ followers and pagans. Boom, big conflict, right? But after the first two centuries, uh, once the Emperor Constantine came to Christ, very quickly the narrative changed, and these conflicts happened more often not with the state and church or the pagans and the faithful, but within the community of faith. In other words, everybody claiming faith in Christ, boom, fighting each other. Galileo was arrested, tried, his books burned, he was forced into exile by the church. He was a believer, but forced into exile for the crime of believing that the earth travels around the sun because at the time it was quite clear that the sun is the one moving because that's what the Bible says. And by the way, the Bible does say that in the Psalms. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, the Lord's name will be praised. So if you just read your Bible, you'd know. So Galileo was persecuted. Sophie Scholl was uh, beheaded at the age of 23 in Germany for writing literature advocating to her own German people the overthrow of the Nazi regime because she named the idol of nationalism. But she was executed by church-going Lutherans who sang Bach. Martin Luther King killed in his 30s and executed among those who hated him, uh, people who went to church on a regular basis. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, also in his 30s. Many of these people who were persecuted were pioneers seeking to move the faith forward, and they were persecuted by people within the community of faith. And so, grads, I want to say something to you. We need you to be pioneers. Very, very important. 
not only in engineering and business and education and health and economics and politics, but in church life and theology. And being pioneers hard. And the reason it's hard is change is always contested because uh, you have pioneers and guardians. And when pioneers advocate for change, uh, guardians resist change, but both parties read the Bible. Both parties claim to follow Jesus. Remember what Lincoln said in his second inaugural address right in the midst of the Civil War? He Literally, I'm quoting from that address right now. He said, both sides read the same Bible. Both sides pray the same God. Both invoke God's aid against the other. We're right. No, we're right. The one thing that we both agree on is we know Jesus, and yet we hate each other. That's a problem, right? So the reason there are these divisions throughout church history is because uh, God never changes, but the way God reveals God's character, and the things God asks of us do change. So there are truths that are timeless, and then there's this call to continually uh, evolve in response to God's revelation, and those who are quick to evolve are called pioneers, and those who resist the movement are called guardians, and we actually need each other, but we don't like each other. The pioneers don't like the guardians because they're, they're seen as stuck. And the guardians don't like the pioneers because they're seen as uh, too quick to change. So that's kind of the reality and, and, and the world in which we live. And what we're going to look at in our time together today is if, if both exist in a community and, both, uh, and all of us at times are guardians and all of us at times are pioneers, if that's reality, kind of question on the table is, okay, so how do we all get along then? And uh, what do we do when we come to these conflicts? Want to look at that by looking at Numbers 12 to 14. It's this classic story of faith in Israel, the nation and their faith, and how they came to a moment where they needed to um, evolve. So they've been delivered out of slavery and then there's 12 spies that are sent into the land and are told to check out the land and decide, is now the time to go in and conquer the land, right? So God wants them to go in and conquer the land. And there's, there's uh, 12 spies go in. If you know the story, you know that they came back and uh, two said, go in. 10 said, what? Don't go in. So two pioneers, right? 10 guardians. That's typically the proportion, too. But that's kind of the way it was. Two pioneers, 10 guardians. They both, they both had seen miracles. They all, all 12 spies put blood on the door. All watched God deliver them out of slavery. All walked to the Red Sea, which is a symbol of baptism, right? All had faith. All ate manna. All had been guided at this point for two years in the wilderness, following the flame by, by day, or uh, cloud by day, following the flame by night. You know, faith, 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 revelation, faith, revelation, faith, revelation, faith. And now, revelation, faith, and stop. And then, you know, conflict, right? So that's our story. And the point of the story here, very important, is that there are those who don't want to move, and there are those that do. 
There are guardians, don't want to move. There are pioneers who believe God is calling them forward. And there's a great deal to learn in this story for our present time, because in this particular moment, the battles between guardians and pioneers have never been more intense in my career. In my, now, that's only like 30 or 40 years. But in my career, this has been the hardest year. And here's why. We all know it, but we have faced this perfect cocktail of uh, the gospel being politicized publicly and social media with algorithms that feed and reinforce what you already believe, and you're stuck at home with COVID. Now, you take those three things and you mix them together in a cocktail, boom, it's just like division waiting to happen. And so that's kind of where we have been living. And now we're kind of re-engaging. And then you're seeing people in person that you wrote about in ways you would never have spoken about, but you wrote about it because they sent you an article on Facebook and you were like this. You hadn't had your coffee yet and you were like this. Oh yeah? Boom. Boom. And now you said it and now here you are again. And now the question is, okay, how, like, how are we going to re-engage here? Because I'm telling you right now in the room, pick any issue. Any issue, who'd you vote for? Uh, what happened on January 6th? Are masks good? Did you get your shot? Any issue, let alone define marriage. <laughs> and you'll have in the room guardians and um, pioneers on any issue. So how do we get along? Well, you know, we just don't talk about anything. <laughs> That's not a good option. No, we're like we're invited here to display unity. You know, we're going to talk about this. And so the way we get along, we need to embrace these two truths about evolving faith. Number one, faith must evolve. Number two, movement is risky. So we're just going to look at those two things real quickly. Number one, faith must evolve. When you look at this journey in the wilderness, when Israel was delivered out of slavery and they're going to go into the promised land eventually, God spends two years teaching them new things about God's character, and they have new experiences. So they had life in the wilderness. Then, here's a new thing. Put the blood on the door. That's a new thing. Now, um, leave, the, leave the land. That's a new thing. Now, uh, oh, your bread? It's going to come in the morning. Uh, get up and pick it off the ground and eat it. But only six days a week. That's a new thing. Six days a week and one day you don't work? That's a new thing. Uh, Ten Commandments written in stone, that's a new thing. New thing, new thing, new thing, new thing, new thing. Public health laws, in the, they're in the law. Family law, it's in the law. Treatment of women, it's in the law. Treatment of immigrants, it's in the law. Sanctuary cities, in the law, in the law, in the law. All new, for two years, new. So, so same God, but new stuff. Now, the way that that language is articulated with Jesus is this. There's a wine that is always the same, and there will always be new wineskins, new ways of expressing the faith. Same wine. Here's our wine. We believe in, you know, remember the Nicene Creed? I believe in God the Father, Jesus Christ, His only Son, you know, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
crucified, dead, buried, rose. I believe in the resurrection of the body, the communion of the saints, life everlasting. Dun, da, 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 dun, da, dun, da, dun, da, dun, da, dun, da, dun, right? So like, here we are, this way we are, we're all in. Most of us are in anyway. And if you're not, get out. No, I'm just kidding. You're welcome here because we want you exploring. But these things are non-negotiable. We believe this stuff, right? That's our wine. And then we know when it comes to ethics that Jesus is the final revelation of ethics. So like when we read the Sermon on the Mount and you see Jesus loving enemies and advocating and crossing social divides uh, and, and how Jesus relates to the state and all that stuff, Jesus is the final word. We might not agree on that, how to interpret that word, but we agree on this much. Jesus is the final word. We'll get to that in a second. So it's always the same wine, but same wine, new wineskins. Just look at the Bible. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, hey, when you guys go into the land, wipe everybody out. Man, woman, child. And then along comes Jesus. Hey, uh, love your enemies. And if somebody hits you, kill them. No, that's not Jesus. Jesus says somebody hits you on the left cheek, turn, let them hit you on the right cheek too. And then also uh, this notion of wiping everybody out was, was God's chosen people, a nation going in and, and making room in a sense for a new land by killing Gentiles. But then Jesus shows up and in his first sermon, he reads Isaiah 61 and he says, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm bringing healing and sight and freedom. And then you read this, everyone, and they're all Jewish, everyone's speaking well of him immediately. Whoa, this guy, amazing. And then Jesus could have just sat down, but oh no, he has to keep talking. What does he say to an all Jewish audience? He says, hey, can I remind you guys that back in the day when Elijah was the prophet, there were lots of widows in Israel, but none of them got their oil refilled. Only the Gentile widow got her oil refilled. And in the days of Elisha, the prophet, there were, there were um, lots of um, lepers, but only Naaman the, the Syrian, the Gentile, got healed. And so Jesus is saying in a not so veiled way, the tent is getting bigger, right? And then it says, as a result of that, they immediately, read your text, Luke 4, they immediately tried to kill him. Like, in a sense, he went from being wildly popular to we want to kill this guy. Why? Because they weren't ready for a new wine skin. And then this just goes on and on in the Bible. When the church is first born, there's a debate. Do we let Gentiles in? Oh, yeah, we can, but should they be circumcised? Then that's a debate, right? And then uh, can I eat? What kind of meat can I eat? Because in the law in the Old Testament, you're not supposed to eat unclean meat, right? The, that would be pork and shellfish. And then Peter in Acts 10, he's following Jesus, and he thinks he's following Jesus by also following the law. And he has this dream. And his dream in Acts 10, a sheet comes down from heaven filled with uh, bacon that is wrapping scallops, right? And that is from heaven, by the way. And he's like this, yeah, no. What does he say? He says, I will never eat unclean meat. And then God says this, not clean anymore. 
And Peter doesn't say, oh, no, wait a minute, God. You are, like, you're immutable. You never change. No, Peter eats. God never changes. The wine skin changes. It does. So always the same wine, new wine skins. So then when we wrestle with this, we understand that the final revelation of God is Jesus. And so we see that in Hebrews 1, where it says, in the past, God spoke to many prophets in many ways. But now, in these last days, Jesus is the full and exact representation of the heart of God. So if you want to know what God looks like, take a good hard look at Jesus. And only Jesus, not Jesus plus your political party, not Jesus plus your denomination, not Jesus plus my teaching, not Jesus plus this book, not Jesus plus this podcast, not Jesus plus your social media feed, not Jesus plus anything, Jesus, period. That, like, that's the timeless wine, and then we will wrestle with, like, how, to, how that wine will find expression as the veils continue to be peeled away and we adapt to the culture in which we live. And all you got to do is look at church history to see that timeless wine continued to create new wineskins. It just happened over and over and over again. That's why, you know, we've moved as a church away from the corruption of the papacy to the communion of all the saints and the priesthood of all believers. That's why we've moved away from patriarchy to the empowering of women. That's why we've moved away from the Bible only in Latin to Martin Luther translating in the German language or John Wesley uh, uh, Wycliffe translating it into uh, English. That's why we've moved away from the doctrine of discovery, which said, hey, uh, if, you, if you go into a new land and the tribes there don't know Christ, it's now your land. Take the land. We don't do that anymore. We've moved away from colonialism, which means we've moved away from the broken treaties with Native Americans and the boarding schools whose goal was cultural and linguistic genocide. We've moved away. We've moved away from slavery. The movement away from nationalism in Germany was a new wineskin. All these were movements toward the heart of Jesus and rooted not in cultural accommodation, but the faithfulness of God's revelation. So there's a timeless wine, but we always have to be kind of wrestling with what's the new expression of the timeless wine. We have to wrestle with that. So that's kind of where we are. And, and then I'm just going to note, because of this, movement at times is going to be essential. It just will be. When you look at the Apostle Paul, what Eric read for us in Philippians chapter 3 is Paul saying, at the end of his life, I haven't arrived yet. doesn't mean that he's thinking to himself, oh, uh, I'm not sinless yet, though it includes that. It means that he doesn't yet fully embrace or even see all the implications of the gospel. Why? Because he says in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, now in this life, we see through a glass, what? Darkly. But then when we see Christ face to face, after we die, then we see face to face. Then we get it until then we wrestle. So, always moving, and yet the same Paul who says in Philippians 3, I'm always moving, reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, hey, guard 
the gospel. So you got to be a guardian and always moving. You're a guardian and a pioneer. And I would just say, uh, all of us are called to wear both of those mantles, but at any given moment, on any given issue, because you wear one mantle and your friend wears the other, you're not going to see things identically. So there are times, with Brian and I, I'm sure, where if we sat down together, we would be, like I, sometimes I'd be a guardian. I'd feel like a guardian. I'm guarding something and saying, no, too much change, Brian. And other times, Brian would be a guardian. Uh, in the podcast I do, we, uh, Brian and I have a, a, a common uh, affection for a ministry called the Bruderhof Community. And I interviewed a member of the Bruderhof Community. And on the issue of women in ministry, I feel with the Bruderhof community like a pioneer. But on the issue of private property, I feel like a guardian because I have I own stuff and he lives in a commune. Does that make sense? So so like he pushes me in one area, I push him in one area, guardians and pioneers. That's that's kind of where we are. And I'm just gonna observe, we're gonna stop and observe. Almost every time the church splits, it comes about because of a gap between guardians and pioneers. The pioneer sees some particular issue as progress, and that's why those people are called progressive. The guardian sees some particular issue as conserving. That's why uh, uh, those people are called conservatives. And again, to quote Lincoln, both read the same Bible, both pray the same God, but they see reality differently. Now, it's tempting to say, well, that's just the way it is. We'll just go our separate ways. But if we do that, we could end up with exactly what we have in the United States of America, people splitting on every single issue, and now over 30,000 denominations. Whereas Jesus said in John 17, my prayer is that you, Father, would unite the saints so that there could be this visible expression of unity. Not uniformity, because we'll have pioneers and, and uh, uh, guardians, but united, right? So how can we be united when we don't agree on when it's time to defend and when to move? Well, here's the thing. We'll go in a minute to a case study, but for now, we'll say, here, here we have to... Hang on to what does unite us. That's the foundation. We start with what does unite us, okay? So I was speaking in uh, Southern California last weekend, and because the meetings are all happening outdoors, I'm literally speaking under a great big tent. It's a big tent. And then as I'm speaking, I'm thinking to myself, this is a beautiful metaphor for what it means to be the church because we're under a big tent, and we, Bethany, I often say to people, when people ask what denomination we are, I go, yeah, you know, Bethany, it's a big tent. Now, there in Southern California, I can tell you because I ate with these people, they didn't all vote the same way in the election. They don't all have the same view on uh, January 6th. They don't, all, they don't all have the same view on electric cars. They don't all have the same view on masks. They don't, they don't all have the same view on that, right? The shot thing. They, they don't agree, Okay. But here we are, and what are we all doing? We are all singing, great is thy faithfulness. 
and we're all holding hands, and we're all praying for each other. Why? Because the thing that unites us is greater than the thing that divides us, or, hello, should be. And if it isn't, we really actually have to repent of that. So, so what a joy to, like, worship under a big tent. Now, all that is to say this, the first point, we got to move sometimes. Second thing, though, movement is risky for two reasons. There's the risk of loss if you're a pioneer. Like when you're out there saying, we got to move. You often, the institution doesn't want to move because the institution doesn't want to upset the momentum of the institution, right? So usually pioneers are individuals. And then we call them, not pejoratively, but actually pretty accurately, prophets. Oh, look at, look at that troublemaker there in the second row. You know, wanting to move. Not, yeah, yeah, wait a minute. That's, that's a very important role. So, movement is risky because like Sophie Scholl, beheaded. Bonhoeffer, hung. Paul, beheaded. Martin Luther King, arrested countless times. Death threats, family threats, house firebombed, only shot. Jesus, <laughs> executed. Why? Pioneer. So the other risk, though, in movement is that you're moving and you shouldn't be moving. That's a risk. It's like you're not, it's, it's, you're, it's not prophetic, it's cultural accommodation. The pioneer always thinks history will be on their side, but history is not always on the side of the pioneer. If you go back and you look at the kings in the Old Testament, oh, they moved all right. They moved away from fidelity to worshiping God in this kind of cultural accommodation, which ended up instituting child sacrifice and relaxing laws regarding Baal worship, they were pioneers but in the wrong direction. So on every issue, movement is risky. Like if you're, if, if you're supposed to move and you, and you do, you're going to face the censor and possibly um, persecution, even execution from institutionalism. And, and on the other hand, if you move and you're not supposed to, then you can end up reshaping the community in a way that misrepresents Jesus. So, so that's kind of where we stand and the, and, the, and the challenge we face. It's the time to move. And people generally move before the power structures move, like Luther moved before the rest of the church was ready, found himself arrested. MLK moved before the white churches in the South moved. Bonhoeffer moved before the church in Germany moved. William Wilberforce moved on slavery in England before the Church of England moved. And there are people moving today before you move and before I move. So, so that's kind of the reality. And then I'm just going to kind of skip ahead and ask this question. Okay, because you're a pioneer and I'm a guardian and we're in the same church, how do we get on? How do we solve this? Well, the good news is we got, a, we got a bit of a roadmap because that was the early church. The early church was filled with guardians and pioneers. So you go to the uh, you go to book of Acts, the church is born in Jerusalem. And so it's almost entirely, you know, Jewish or people who believe in Judaism who are Greeks, either way. And, and that's the early church. And now what are called Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ and they want to be part of the church. 
And, and now the church is saying, wait, wait, hey, wait a minute. Who said that could be okay, right? And then it, it says in the text that they held a council. So these are called board meetings in a church, right? And you kind of, there's a debate that goes on. And so there's three things I want you to see. Number one, in Acts 15, here's the debate. Can, can Gentiles come in? If so, how much of the law do they have to keep? Do they, do they have to be circumcised? Can they eat and eat sacrifice to idols? Big debate. So three things that you see. Much debate. Much debate. So uh, how many have had debates? Don't raise your hands. Re- like lately, how many have debates over something that you think is really a spiritual issue? Maybe it is a spiritual issue. Maybe it isn't. But you had a debate. And the person with whom you're debating, you know that they love Jesus. And you, and you know they're seeking to follow Christ. But how can they be so stupid? Like anybody? Don't raise your hands. But you get the point, much debate. And yet, here's the difference between then and now. Verse 12, they were listening to each other. That's what it says in the text. They were listening. And this, I think we have lost this capacity to some extent during our COVID period because it is hard to listen on Zoom. And and it's hard to listen in emails. And it's hard to listen when you send me an article and before I even read the article, I read who published the article, and based on who published it, I either listen or don't. This is hard. So debate, watch my hands, debate must be linked with what? Listening. Remember St. Francis? I pray that I would seek more to be understanding than to be understood. Like I'm first going to try and really hear your heart. And then... The conclusion of listening to much debate was not, uh, and God spoke with perfect clarity, and so now we know how to go. In both verse 22 and 30 of Acts 15, here's the conclusion of the elders. It seems good to us that we do it this way. Oh, so here we are. Do we get it perfectly? No. Hello, we're human. But we prayed. We listened, we debated, and here's how we're going to live into the next chapter of history. But what what we won't do is divide. So the point is not to be a defender or a pioneer, but one who listens to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Because the Spirit has declared the timeless truth of Christ as the way, the truth, and the life for 2,000 years And the churches continue to evolve away from colonialism, away from slavery, away from racism, away from environmental destruction, away from materialism, away from nationalism. We've moved. Thank God we've moved. But movement has always been hard, and it's hard today. I just end with a kind of a hopeful story. Because as you know, this year has been the hardest year of our lives to hold families together, to hold friendships together, to hold a church together for the hardest year. And uh, honestly, I'll say to you, at times, very discouraging. I've never felt uh, more hypervigilant in my need to edit sermons so that, like, I watch every word because I'm so uh, cautious 
that my teaching will be misinterpreted as political. And even in spite of the caution, my teaching is misinterpreted as political. So this has been, it's been tough. And I'm preparing this particular sermon on unity on Thursday. And going, man, what's a, is there a way to illustrate this? And then I get an email from Nathan, my friend who is our missions director. And Nathan and I, along with the Bethany staff and with the blessing of our council, made a determination the beginning on Easter Sunday. We'd spend 50 days, you know, praying, getting educated about the unhoused issue in the city of Seattle. And then we take an offering for our longtime ministry partner, the Aurora Commons, with a goal of seeing to raise $500,000. You guys remember the, the initiative? Many, many of you, you were here. And I asked you to pray and give, and Nathan asked you to pray and give, and others. And uh, uh, so I was, you know, the week before this thing was closing, we were at 270, but with a matching grant, it was over 500. But I was like, man, let's just, I wonder what God's going to do. And then Nathan sends me this email, and the email doesn't even have the amount in it. It's a video where he went over to the Aurora Commons and handed an envelope to uh, the staff there to show them how much you collectively gave. Here's what happened. Not bad. And I immediately wrote an email to the staff at, um, at, the, at the Commons, and I said, what I love about that number is I know that not everyone who gave voted for the same president. Not everyone who gave agrees on this or this or any, pick anything. We don't all agree. Here's what we agree on. Jesus loves everyone. Everyone's made in God's image. Everyone deserves a meal. Every, <laughs> everyone deserves to have someone know their name and, and help them get online so that they can get their stimulus check. Everyone, because everyone's made in God's image. We know that, Bethany. We know that. And we, and, we, and we know that and we embrace that and we prayed about that and we gave to that and, and look what God did. Look what God does when we live into John 17. I pray that we would be what? Agreed on who won the election? Who cares? America will come and go. Churches will come and go, local ones. Christ remains the rock, amen? So let's live there united and then let's have great debates and listen and pray and grow. We need each other. Father, I want to thank you that Bethany has this rich history of inessentials unity and non-essentials liberty in all things charity. That history has never been put to the test uh, more than in the past year. My prayer is that we would be, all of us, in the right ways, pioneers and defenders, and that when our pioneering and defending collide, that we would have the grace to continue to grow toward your heart. And we'll thank you as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, close in worship, Eric's going to guide us with a couple of questions as we start our worship time.